So every moment in our life, it, it counts. Moments in our life are important, but there are moments that are life-defining. There are moments that alter the trajectory of who you are, that shape and mold the person that you are. There are moments in your career, in your marriage, in your parenting, where those are defining moments that shape the rest of what you do. The same is true for a church. In 2001, our church started with 30 people in a basement of one of our members. And, it's, and then after a couple of weeks, we moved to Arlington. There was a church that was so gracious, that was willing to provide a space for us, rent-free, utility-free. Right? They were simply investing in these 30 people, saying that you can come and worship at this place. And in one year, the number 30 became 180 people. So God was clearly working in our church. But then we heard the news that, um, that we had to move out after three months. We had a three-month notice uh, because the church that, that welcomed us had plans to build a seminary inside of that building. So when Pastor Lim heard this, uh, he was looking for different places, and he stumbled upon this place. At that time, it was called National Gardens Baptist Church. If you go to the side, there's still a brick that talks about the his that has the history, the, the years in which National Gardens Baptist Church was here. And at that time, there were 23 members that were in National Gardens. The youngest member was 69 years old. And so this is a pretty big space for a fairly small congregation that is probably on the latter side of, of their days. And so at that time, Pastor Lim said, we would love to make an offer. So he set up a meeting, and his offer was $1 million for this place. And the board, everyone laughed because just a couple weeks ago, they received an offer of $3.5 million, and they turned it down. And then as people were laughing, Pastor Lim, he, he simply said two things. Number one, this church does not belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. So, and you don't even pray about my offer. Number two, many of you, many of you are old, and soon you're going to see the Lord, and you're going to give an account to the Lord. And what are you going to say to him? We sold the building for $5 million, Lord. Would you congratulate us? Is that what you're going to say? Right? Would it make a difference if you sell it for three, four, five million dollars? Like, is the Lord going to be excited about the money that you made? Or is he going to be excited about the investment that you made for his kingdom? And so he just walked out and he said, you call me after you pray and when you're ready to talk. So, <laughs> so after a little bit of time, um, they scheduled another meeting. Um, and after a month, uh, they came back and said, yes, we would like to take on your offer. And then there are a lot of details that need, need to be ironed out, and there's so many stories along that way, and I'll save that for our membership class. Uh, so if you're interested, you can come and listen to our membership class. But, but the bottom line is the $1 million, actually, it, it wasn't a fund that we had. It was a fund that we were planning to borrow from the bank. So that was how much we could borrow. And so we borrowed the money, and if you borrow money, you have to pay back the money, and the church didn't have any money. And Pastor Lynn came back to National Gardens Baptist Church and said, oh, by the way, uh, you know, we said uh, we paid you $1 million. Um, can you borrow, can we, can we borrow that money uh, interest-free? Uh, we'll pay back half of it in three months, and the rest we'll pay back over a long term. And so, and, and they thought, like, we were crazy, but, you know, again, after praying, they said, yeah, sure. And so, remember, at this point, time is ticking, 
We only have three months to move out of that old place, and now we have to move into this new place. We have to meet all these financial needs. So for the very first time, the church did a fundraising and said, okay, there's an immediate need that we need to meet $500,000. We need to pay that uh, immediately. And so we just want to open up uh, to anyone who would like to graciously give and invest in God's kingdom. And in two weeks, when they started the kind of fundraising event, one person came to Pastor Lim and said, Pastor, whatever number comes out from the congregation, I will match that. And we'll, I'll make sure that we have $500,000. And so the church was able to give at that time uh, $230,000. And the other member matched that uh, money. So uh, basically... Uh, we paid off uh, half a million dollars uh, through the gracious giving of and participation of the church. And that was the last time we did any sort of fundraising for a building. And why do I share all this? It's not because I want you to just simply give and participate in the fundraising event that, that we're having. I want you to know that at that time, it was at the end of the physical year, and we had about $100,000 that was left in our account. Uh, we normally had a principle where we would save 10% of whatever was left of that year, and the rest we would give it to missions. That was our principle. Like, if God gave us more than we expected after our budgeting, then that means we want to use that for his glory in the nations, for missions. And so there's about $100,000 that are left. All the elders were saying before that fundraising event happened, we got to use that money to pay off our debts. We have about $500,000 that we need to pay immediately, Pastor, let's use that money and let's raise the rest of $400,000. And Pastor Lim said, no. If, if I do that, then I'll have to resign as a pastor here. Because I, we made a covenant with the Lord. That we made a promise to the Lord. And so we're not going to use the, mission, the missions funds that we were supposed to use. Um, and we're going to reserve that. And so through the gracious giving, again, you know, the church, they were able to provide all their needs. But after the needs were met, in a couple of days, Pastor Lim receives a call from Cambodia. Um, there was a missions director, uh, chairman of a mission organization, and he was sharing how there's an epidemic in, Pan, uh, in Cambodia. AIDS are going around, people are dying, and so there's so many orphans. So there's a project where we can build an orphanage in, in a place of need. And Pastor Lim asked, how much will it cost? The person says, $100,000. Exactly how much we reserved for missions. It was the pr project money, so we invested uh, in that project, and now, till this day, we have Shining Star Orphanage, where we have our different ministers who served at this church go and, and serve at that orphanage in, in Cambodia. And so I say th this because through all of this, God taught our church two things. Number one, he is able. Number two, he is for us. God is able and God is for us. And I came five years ago to this church. I, I, I shared it as if I was 20, here 20 years ago. No, but I, I shared this uh, coming five years ago. But uh, till this day, we are committed to missions. We are committed to, to, to gracious giving, to invest in God's kingdom. Why? Because there was a defining moment in the very beginning of this church that set a tone, that set a practice, a trajectory for the rest of our church and said, from now on, we will never put a limit to what God can do. He is able. And we will never question whether or not God is for us or against us. God, as long as we are faithfully following him, he is for us. And you know what? 
I wish I was there 20 years ago because I would love to be part of that type of miracle and that type of provision. I would love to share that story as if it was my story. And you have an opportunity to make that your story today. The reason why we are in this building is because there was a church, there was a congregation that believed in God's plan, that followed through with their commitment to the Lord, that made a covenant with the Lord and said, we'll make the Great Commission our ambition, and we will not compromise that, and we believe that you are God, you are able, and you are for us. And the result is 20 years later, we have this place, and we are worshiping the Lord freely. Our children are, are growing they are knowing the Lord. And so that has been the backbone of our church. So there are four really prayer topics that I've been praying um, through, this, through this project. I was like, man, this is probably the biggest announcement I'm making as a pastor. Because for me personally, I don't have a house. I don't even have an apartment to myself. And, and you're telling me that I have to announce that we have $3 million to raise. But there are four things that I'm praying um, as I'm sharing this and I'm giving out um, this letter. Number one, I'm praying for broad participation, not just specific individuals to pay a lot of money, but I'm praying for broad participation so that everyone can say we were part of this. Number two, I'm praying that God will show his ability to us through this, that we will be surprised in what God can do through the faithfulness of his people. Number three, I'm praying that those who sacrificially give and generously give will experience God's provision and his reward in a Matthew 6 type of way. Number four, I'm praying specifically for our English congregation that this will be a defining moment that sets the trajectory of our congregation and how we're going to go. Because a lot of times we say this is what our Korean congregation did. I would love to say this is what we did. And this is how God worked in our church. He is able and he is for you. And the story of the Bible is really simply summarized in these two statements, that God is able and he is for his people. The people of God can do anything, anything with this. If they simply believe in the promises of God, that God is not against them, but for them. If we simply believe that God is able. But at the same time, the people of God can do nothing if they don't have confidence in these two statements. Really, our Christian faith, it lies under these two principles, that God is able and that he is for us. And that is the point of Joshua 10. By the way, I don't plan out these these. these these sermons, in a way, you know that our normal practice is simply to walk through different books of the Bible, different sections of the Bible. I just happened to be that I preached Joshua chapter 9 last week, and we're stumbling upon Joshua 10 today. But this is really the essence of today's story, that God is able and he is for his people. In Joshua chapter 9, you see a people group, the Gibeonites, they are living in the land of Canaan, and they realize that God is on the move. They realize that people are, are getting destroyed by standing against God, and what they decide to do is they decide to deceive the people of God. They, they lie to the people of God. They say, we are from a faraway country, which they were not. And they say, we heard all that God has done in Egypt. We are aware of what he is doing right now. And so we simply want to give ourselves to you, that we are your servants. Would you have your way with us? Would you simply take us in, help us to be saved? That's simply what they ask for. They want a peace treaty because they are afraid of God. And although Israel made an alliance because they were tricked into this, 
because the Gibeonites were willing to humble themselves before the Lord, and they were willing to ask for salvation, God graciously brings them in into the people of God. We see that, that again and again in the book of Joshua, that if you stand against God, if you fail to humble yourself and you walk in your own ways, eventually you will be judged by God. But as you're hearing the message of warning, as you're recognizing that God is on the move, if you come to your senses, if you realize there's nothing you can do in your power to save yourself, you run to God, you give yourself to God, you submit to him, and when you do that, God's grace is so sufficient that he's going to save you, restore you, bring you in as his people. That's the grace that the Gibeonites experienced, but at the same time, we see a new problem in today's passage. It says in verse 1 that... The king of Jerusalem, by the way, at this time, Jerusalem was not a holy city. This is before the Israelites were in the promised land. So Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, he recognizes what's going on. He sees what happened to, to, to Jericho and Ai, and he hears about the Gibeonites, how they gave themselves into the people of Israel, and how the Gibeonites at that time were actually a great city. They were a strong people, the Bible says, and yet they gave themselves up to the people of Israel. And so he's recognizing, okay, this is danger. And it says in verse 2, after hearing all this, he feared greatly. And it says in verse 4, he gathers these, these four other kings and he says, let's create an alliance. Come up to me and help me and let us strike Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. For it has made peace. And, uh, and then the five kings of Amorites, verse 5, they gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. So you hear you have five kings, five armies that are standing against Israel and the Gibeonites. Israel right now is about three days away from the land of Gibeon, the city of Gibeon. And so that's, that's big trouble. The Gibeonites, although they're strong, it's one against five. So this is a big deal. They're in big trouble. In a humanly understanding, this is an impossible situation to overcome. And what do they do? They send a messenger to Joshua. It says in verse 6, do not relax your hand upon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So they remember that they made a peace treaty with the Israelites. And so they send a messenger and say, God, can you save us? Joshua, can you save us? Protect us. Now, it's one thing to forgive people that deceived you. It's one thing to take them in as your own. It's another thing to go to battle and fight on their behalf, right? To risk their own lives. They don't have to engage in this battle. But what Joshua does, it says in verse 7, he went up from Gilgal. He had all the people of war with him. So everyone who could fight, all the mighty men of, of valor. And why does he do this? He remembers the covenant that he made with the Gibeonites. He said, you know, I'll protect you. You are part of my people. And so I'll fight on your behalf. Joshua remembered that this covenant was made in the name of the Lord. And that, again, shows you how serious the covenants are in the Bible. And you see in verse 8, as Joshua is moving, as Israel is moving, the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. It's an amazing promise that not a man shall stand before you. And what's coming next in verse 10, 11, and 12 
and verse 9, four times we see four miracles. We see four supernatural events take place back to back to back to back. Miracle number one, super speed and super strength. It says in verse 9, and it doesn't literally say super speed and super strength, but it says in verse 9, so Joshua came up upon them suddenly, uh, upon the armies of the five king, having marched up all night from Gilgal. So Joshua gets to Gibeon in one night. Now we are told in the Bible that this was a five, a three-day journey. At least it's, it's, it's 15 miles. So, and it's all uphill. So this is quite a hike. And the fact that Joshua and the army, that they got there in one night, that is super strength, super stamina, and also super speed. How do I explain this? I can't really, um, but that's just there, okay? Miracle number two, panic attack. Verse 10 says this, and the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel. So they, he put the army of the five kings into a panic attack and struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Ezekah of, and uh, Mechadeth. So we see here that the Lord, he's, he's confusing the people, of, of, of the armies of the five kings, even before Israel is there. And how do I explain this? Again, I can't, but all I can say in Proverbs 28.1, it says the wicked flee when there's no one pursuing them. Like God, for some reason, was working in their minds. And, and, and whatever happened, that their minds were filled with fear and panic, that they were... E- they're so confused to the point that they couldn't even properly engage in battle. So even before a physical engagement, mentally they were destroyed. And so we see a panic attack, miracle number two, and miracle number three. Now it gets really crazy. Stones from heaven. Verse 11. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah. And they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. So here you see that this is a close battle, a hand-to-hand combat battle. It says that swords are being drawn, meaning they're close by. And so the armies are mixed, the armies of the five kings, and you have the Gibeonites along with the people of Israel are there engaging in this battle. And all of a sudden from the sky, you have hailstones stones and and god is just chucking rocks right and it's amazing because he's not just dumping rocks it just happens to be that that the army of the five kings they're the only ones who are getting hit by these rocks it's like there's a football game between uh uh between the washington the new team uh, right the commanders is it yeah and and commanders and and let's say the dallas cowboys right they're in the stadium uh, and they're playing against each other. The stands are filled with people. And you have people cheering for Dallas Cowboys. You have people cheering for the Washington Commanders. And, and all of a sudden, from sky, you have, you have hailstones coming down. And it just happens to be that everyone who, who's a Dallas Cowboy fan gets hit by the stones. In that moment, there's two things that come to your mind. Wow, God is able. <laughs> he is supernatural. And he is for the Washington commanders, for sure. <laughs> what this story is showing us is that God is supernatural, that he is able, but number two, that he is for the people of Israel. 
and, and here, here's the climax of this, of this battle. In miracle number four, it says this in verse 12. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. Joshua speaks to the sun and says, stand still. So miracle number four, God hits the pause button on the solar system. Literally, it says in verse 13, the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. The sun stopped in the midst of the heavens and, 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 and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. Now, why is this important? So remember, Israel is, is defeating the armies of the five kings. They are getting destroyed, right? They are get, taking a, a beatdown. And you know in a boxing match, the only thing that can save you when you're taking a beatdown is the, is the bell. You can be saved by the bell. And you can go to, back to your corner. You can regroup. You can recharge. And you can uh, gather yourself. And then you can engage back in the battle. And that's how it was in ancient days, especially when there was no electricity. What, you, what happens at night when the sun goes down is no one can see anything. So they have no idea who's on their side. And so what armies normally do is after fighting throughout the day, they would rest at night, that they would kind of regroup. And the reason why Joshua prayed this prayer to God to make the sun still is because he knows that this victory, is, it belongs to them. And they're willing to go all the way. And they want to hit the knockout punch. And so he's basically telling God, don't, don't, don't ring the bell. We're going all the way. And so on and on for hours and hours, we see that the sun was still, the day was extended to the point where the entire army was destroyed. And so what do we learn again? That God is able and he is for the people of Israel. Now, some people might say, this is why I don't believe in the Bible. Because you, number one, you're talking about the sun being still. I know my science. The sun is always still, right? It's the earth that is rotating around the sun. Whoever wrote the Bible, right, is, is like they didn't know their science. Well, we still say, although we know all the scientific facts about the sun and the moon and the stars and our solar system, we still say the sun rises and the sun sets, right? Although we know that it, it, it's, it's the earth that's rotating around and, and, and orbiting around the, the sun. We know that. So we're not, we're not talking about science here. We're talking about this in people's perspective. The sun stood still. So what that means is God hit the stop button on the solar system, and there are a lot of scientists that would say, well, let me tell you what happens. The moment that if there's a little bit of, of error or if, if the earth does not orbit around the sun properly or if the earth stops rotating in the proper, in, in, uh, outside the proper speed, let me tell you what happens. The earth will be destroyed. Everything will fall apart. Gravity will kind of be broken down. And there's all these stuff that would take place. And they would say, this is why I don't believe in the Bible. But I did a lot of research on this. And there's really one way that you can explain this. He's God. He's supernatural. And what that means is, is God is above what is natural. That what is natural to us is not natural to God. That God is not restricted under the natural laws, but he created nature, 
He created the sun, the stars, the moons, and the sky, and everything in it. He filled everything. He spoke things into existence with his very words. And it says in Colossians 1 that Jesus not only created all things, but he's the sustainer of all things. So there is no scientific explanation that I can give you in this passage. But one thing I can assure you is God is willing to stop the solar system to fight on behalf of his people. Have you thought about that? That's what's going on. You know, it's interesting. In verse 14, when the author of Joshua, when he talks about this incident, this is what he says. There has been no day like it before or since. As he's writing these miracles, he's saying, what a day. There has been no day like this. And you would imagine there has been no day where the sun stopped, the moon stopped, where, where there were stones from, from heaven. But it says there has been no day like this before or since when the Lord heeded Listen carefully to the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So what the author is, 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 is saying is, it's not all these miracles that are, that are shocking. It's the fact that the Lord Almighty, the God of the universe, was willing to listen to Joshua and fight on behalf of his people. That, that's what blows his mind. That's what he's saying. What a, a day. So God is able and he's willing to fight for his people. And if I can tell you what happens in the rest of the chapter, the five kings, we kind of get a subplot of what happens with them. As the army is engaging in battle, what they decide to do is they go into a cave. And, and the people of Joshua, they find out about this. And so what Joshua says is just put a, a big rock in front of that cave. And so they're locked in while their army is getting destroyed. And after their army was completely destroyed, um, Joshua tells, oh, now it's time to roll that stone over. Bring those five kings to me. And you kind of see this in verse 22 and jumping to verse 24. And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chief, chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, come near, put your feet on the necks of these people, these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks. Now, this is a very graphic scene, Right? Literally, just picture this, five kings lying on the ground. And Joshua calls his, his men and says, step on their neck. And this is what Joshua says. Verse 25, do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. So the reason why Joshua came up with this visual is not because, you know, he's just a violent guy and he wanted to torture these kings, but he wanted to send a message to the rest of his people saying, remember this day of victory. Remember that these kings were so mighty and strong, how they are underneath our feet, our enemies. These are not just innocent people. These are people who constantly rebelled against the Lord. These are people who were unwilling to, to submit to the message of warning who are unwilling to, to ask for forgiveness and salvation like the Gibeonites. These are people who are willing to fight to the very end. And what happens to them at the end is judgment. But for us, remember, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Be strong. Be courageous. Because the Lord will fight for you and against all your enemies. And the rest of the chapter is about seven cities that Joshua takes down one by one. You just read it, Israel moves in, they fight, they win. Israel goes to another city, they, they fight, they win. Another city, they, they fight, they win. Simply 
The point is this. Joshua was preparing the Israelites for a greater battle. And Joshua summarizes this in verse 42. It says this, And Joshua captured all the kings and their land at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. So the southern part of the promised land is now all conquered. Now, what does this mean for us? Two quick things. Number one, it means you have to make sure that you are on God's side. It's very clear. Whoever side you are on, the outcome is always predetermined. If you are with God, then you are saved and you are victorious. If you are against God, no matter how hard you're going to fight, no matter how strong you feel like you are, there will always be defeat and judgment at the end. So make sure that you are on the right side. Number two, once you humble yourself and surrender to him, engage in the battle. Engage in the battle. In Joshua 10, is the Lord fighting? Absolutely. Is Israel fighting? Yes, absolutely. Then, then how do we make sense of this? Now, when God says, I will fight for you, he's not saying you can do nothing, just stay, stay behind and, and wait on me. No, what he's saying is engage in the battle. I'm going to give you strength, so don't be afraid. Be courageous. When he's saying that, he's expecting the people to go out and fight. And in the same way, when God tells us, I'm going to give you victory, he's still expecting us to engage in the battle. And although we don't have physical battles that we fight, at least in our part of the world, we are still in a fight with sin. We are still in a fight with Satan. We read in Ephesians 6, 10 and 11, finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Why? Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil and all the evil principalities and the strongholds that exist in this world. The Lord says, put on the armor of God. Rely on the strength of the Lord. So he expects us to engage in the battle, but he doesn't expect us to fight in this battle alone. He says, you go out with the strength of the Lord. You go out with the army of God. So don't be afraid. Be strong. I think one reason why we don't experience God's power in a Joshua 10 type of way is because we're unwilling to engage in the battle. That we're, we're just, we just want to take a back seat. We say, God, you do everything and we'll just stay here. We'll pray, but, but we'll, we'll, we'll just watch. God is telling his people is this. If you know that God is able, if you know that God is going to fight for you, you can go out with courage. Live a holy life. Live a life that's honoring to the Lord. Win souls for God's kingdom. Confess your sins. Share the gospel. Submit to God's calling. Whatever it might be, you can pray big prayers and do big things. That, that's what God is calling us to do. I love what John Piper says. He says, prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie for spiritual warfare, not a domestic intercom to increase the comfort of the saints. The reason why we don't experience the power of prayer a lot is because we use it as a domestic intercom to meet our own needs, not as a spiritual walkie-talkie to fight during war times. How are you using your prayers? Are you praying big prayers? Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Believe the power of God. Believe that he's for you and not against you. And when you do that, you can courageously go out and fight the good fight. You can still engage in the battle knowing that the battle has already won. You know that picture where the kings are under the feet of the people of Israel? That's actually a foreshadowing of what's going to happen later 
It says in Romans 16, 20, speaking to God's people, Paul says this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. What he's saying is the enemy that you fear so much, the enemy that's messing around with you, one day God's going to put Satan under your feet. And when does that happen? It happens on the cross where Satan is utterly defeated. He's still alive, but he's utterly defeated. And God is pointing to the cross saying, look at how I defeated death. Look at how Jesus defeated sin and the power of Satan. Literally, he put Satan underneath your feet. Don't forget that. And as you remember that, go out, be courageous, be my people, win the battle, fight the good fight, trust in me. If you pray big prayers, I'm willing to stop the solar system for you. The question is, are you willing to fight the battles I put ahead of you? Follow the journey of faith, not with fear, but with faith.